Chapter 4 Selection So, having decided that the police service was indeed for me, I sent off for an application form, which I promptly filled in and duly waited for a response. I decided to apply to be a constable rather than via the graduate entry scheme. Everything that I'd seen and heard suggested that being on the scheme would put up lots of barriers with my colleagues. I didn't want them looking at me with suspicion, thinking that I was some career butterfly who had no interest in learning how to do the job properly, flitting around various departments for two minutes before moving on to the next posting. The graduate entry scheme continued under different guises for many years. The criteria for admission changed from time to time. However, the basic premise that someone could accelerate their career up to the rank of Chief Inspector remained. At the risk of generalising, in my experience, the good people on that scheme were in the minority. Many of them lacked a degree of common sense, which is absolutely essential in policing, and they tended to gravitate towards non-operational corporate roles in headquarters. Some of them would find themselves parachuted into senior detective roles for their development, but that generally didn't end well for anyone. After a period of time, I received an invitation to attend an exam, an interview and a medical in London. This process took place over two days and we were put up in a grotty, cheap hotel somewhere near Paddington. I was sharing a room with a big skinny lad from the northeast of England. We all went for a few beers in a local pub on the first evening and the next day we attended Paddington Green Police Station for our physical tests, dental checks and medical. My memory of the exact chronology of the two days is a little hazy. However, we first had to do a fitness test in a gym, which involved a bit of running, jumping and lifting, which was a piece of cake for me. I was as fit as a fiddle and a keen runner and rock climber at that time. Although I do remember a few people getting binned at that stage who couldn't do one press-up. After lunch, the next stage involved a dental check and a medical. The dental examination was a fairly straightforward affair. This is more than can be said for the medical, which to this day remains a source of amusement and profound mystery to everyone I know who had to go through it. The entire process that I've described so far was something of a conveyor belt involving dozens of male and female candidates. The medical examination was carried out in a room with red and green lights above the door. Red indicated that an examination was in progress and green indicated that it was safe to enter. They put us into groups of about 10 and instructed us to go into small changing cubicles, remove our clothing and put on dressing gowns. We then had to take a seat in a row of chairs by the medical room to await our turn. I remember smiling at the motley collection of dressing gowns worn by the candidates. Some of the lads looked like Ebenezer Scrooge in their nightshirts, whilst others were resplendent in various bold Highland tartan affairs. Some of the girls had obviously borrowed their granny's floral bathrobe, and others looked like they were glamorous extras on a James Bond set, showing lots of cleavage and thigh. I've since heard stories which I'm entirely confident are true, of especially pretty girls who were slightly too short to reach the height requirement, 
being told to keep their heels on whilst being measured. Eventually it was my turn. The light changed to green and I heard my name being called. I got up and walked through the doorway. In front of me there was a desk in the centre of the room with a middle-aged man in old-fashioned pince-nez spectacles sat behind it. On either side of him were two women, one in her thirties and the other one much younger in her early twenties. I assumed that the chap was a doctor and that the others were administrators of some sort. However, I never really knew as none of them ever introduced themselves to me. The doctor checked that I was indeed Ian Donnelly and asked my date of birth. He then rather gruffly told me to hang my dressing gown on a hook on the wall and step onto two black footprints painted on the floor, facing him in front of the desk. I took off my dressing gown and did as he asked. At this point, he glanced up at me from his documentation and with an irritated look said, Mr Donnelly, please remove your underwear. You were advised outside to remove everything. I had somehow misunderstood the instructions, so I took my pants off, put them on the floor and returned naked to place my feet on the black footprints on the floor about shoulder width apart. Standing naked in front of three complete strangers, two of whom being attractive young women, was obviously not something that I did every day. The doctor then asked me if I had ever taken drugs, to which I said that I had not. Immediately I thought, oh God, do I look like a bloody drug addict? He then told me to stretch out my arms to show him the back of my hands. I did this. He then told me to turn my hands over to show him my palms which I did. He then told me to turn around, spread my legs and touch my toes. I was utterly bemused by this, but I did as he asked, bending over and displaying my hopefully clean arsehole and balls to my audience of three, who to my slight disappointment failed to give me a round of applause. I briefly considered putting one hand on my backside and looking coquettishly back over my shoulder at them, but I decided that probably wasn't a great idea. The doctor then said, Thank you, Mr Donnelly, that is all, you may go now. I put my dressing gown back on and left the room feeling completely baffled by the whole experience. I returned to my cubicle to get dressed, and then with a sinking feeling, realised in my haste to leave, I had left my underpants in the room. I weighed up my options to decide which was the least humiliating solution. Should I just put my trousers back on and go commando? That was the easiest option, but there was a risk that if I did this, a member of staff might confront me, waving my pants in my face and asking, have you got no pants on? Why on earth didn't you ask someone to get them for you, idiot? The other option was to admit that I'd left my pants in there and suffer the humiliation of having to retrieve them. I decided on the latter option and told one of the staff what I'd done, apologising profusely. She looked at me like I was the biggest idiot she'd ever met and rolling her eyes told me that she'd get them when the light next went to green. A few minutes later she came back and almost threw my pants in my face. This was the end of day one and I returned gratefully to the crappy hotel in Paddington 
where to my surprise I find my Geordie roommate packing his bag to go home. I asked him what had happened, to which he replied, I failed the dental check. Really? How on earth did that happen? I asked him. They don't accept people with false teeth, he said sadly. Have you got a false tooth then? I asked him, seeing his disappointment. No, not just one. I've got a full set of dentures. I was amazed. This lad was no older than me, in his early twenties, and I genuinely thought that the only people with dentures were old people like my grandparents. They told me that it's too dangerous and that I could choke if they came out in a fight, he explained. I didn't want to say to him that if that happened, everyone would probably be too busy laughing at him to continue fighting. So we said our goodbyes and off he went. The next day, I returned to Paddington Green, where we had to do a test of verbal and numerical reasoning, followed by an essay or on something or other. I can't remember. There were several subjects to choose from, some of which had titles like Should We Arm the Police? and Were the Miners Justified in Striking in 1984? Presumably this was a devilishly cunning way of identifying and weeding out the gun nuts and rabid Bolsheviks from the pool of applicants. An ex-colleague seeking to avoid controversy chose a title about the rights and wrongs of the annual seal cull. He began his essay with, The annual seal cull is a cull of seals that takes place every year. It deteriorated factually from that point on. I'm not sure why they were interested in our views on the annual seal cull. Perhaps they were watching to see if anyone became too enthusiastic and started writing about baby seals being bludgeoned to death. Spot the psychopath. Finally, I sat an interview. I can't remember that much about it, but I vaguely recall being interviewed by a rather serious uniformed chief inspector and an attractive, slightly flirtatious female sergeant. It was more of a chat, really, and I got the feeling that it went pretty well. I returned to my flat in Birmingham, and a few days later I received a letter telling me that I'd passed the selection and I'd be offered a place to train to be a police officer in the Metropolitan Police.